says, in being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and all the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And Father, we ask as we continue now in our worship, as we seek to honor your son and give worship and pleasure to you as your people gathered in his name, we pray that the help of your Holy Spirit would be with us just uniquely to open up our minds to comprehend the scriptures, that our hearts would be open, receptive, and like fertile soil that you can plant the good seed of your word down into. And that, Lord, we would each be able to hear what you would want to say to us personally and individually this morning through this passage of scripture. And that collectively, Lord, as a congregation here, we would receive a timely word from you from the word of God this morning. Lord, you know what we're asking. We pray that by your spirit, you'd prepare us and that you would be the one to bless your word and speak to us by your spirit's ministry. We ask that expectantly in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, when opposition comes against our spiritual life and against the Lord's work, and that does happen, how do we keep ourselves from being defeated? How do we keep ourselves from being overcome by the resistance? Well, I think the text in front of us this morning is it addresses something that happens right after a time of spiritual resistance and a time when the people of God are kind of being opposed, it reveals to us at least a few things that one of the ways we overcome is by God's people coming and uniting together in prayer. And we also see not only them coming together in prayer, but we see the power of God being poured out. And it was only by the power of God that they're able to overcome opposition against their spiritual lives. And that's really what our passage today, I think, predominantly teaches us about. It speaks to us about how to overcome opposition. Because opposition will come and resistance will happen. And the Lord doesn't want us to be defeated by those things. He wants us to overcome and to triumph. Now, the backstory, particularly for this morning's passage of Scripture, if you'll bear with me in patience a little bit, the backstory is really critical to understanding what's going on in the text in front of us this morning. Remember, Peter had just testified 
to a crowd in the temple area about Jesus Christ being the Savior, the Messiah whom God sent, that he was the Lord over all, that he's coming again soon. And he was calling people in the crowd there in the temple to repent and to be converted, to have their sins forgiven, to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And as a result of that preaching publicly, if you look back with me in chapter 4, verse 1, it told us that as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, came upon them. And being greatly disturbed that they taught, it says, the people and preached in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, they laid hands on them, put them in custody, they imprisoned them overnight, until the next day, for it was already evening. Now at that point, as we saw in our study last time, they then put Peter and John through this very intimidating, you might say, religious interrogation. They went before this ruling council, we call it the Sanhedrin of the Jews, a 71-member ruling council, religious body that had great authority, great political influence as well. And they kind of interrogated Peter and John for what they had just done and in and, and healing this man that was there in the temple and then preaching that Jesus was the way to be right with God rather than through their religious system. And as a result of that bold testimony that Peter gave about Christ and answering the interrogation that was happening, we then, if you look with me in verse 14, see the response to Peter's bold answer before this council. It says, seeing the man who had been healed, verse 14, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. They had evidence of a changed life. There wasn't much they could say. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they then conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But, verse 17, so that it spreads no further, among the people let us severely threaten them so that from now on they speak no more to no man in this name so they called them in and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of jesus but peter and john answered and said to them whether it's right in the sight of god to listen to you more than god you judge for we cannot speak the things which we have seen and heard verse 21 so when they had further threatened them, they then let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. So there's the backstory. They're severely threatened now. Speak no more in the name of Jesus. No longer proclaim this gospel message publicly. Stop teaching people about Jesus and who he is. And in a sense, they are forced into a spot now where they must make a decision. Do we obey the authorities of the people or do we obey the authority of God who has told us that we are to speak in Jesus' name and that we are to communicate about the things of God? What are we to do? And they're severely threatened. Listen, and there was certainly validation behind those threats. Uh, some of these people, a great deal of them, were the same ones who were able to bring about the killing and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So these aren't idle threats. 
These are very real threats that they're facing. And now they find themselves in this very hard spot. They're, they're, they're threatened. And how do they handle that? Well, that's what our text is about. How do they handle this difficult experience they've gone through and now the hard journey ahead of them? Well, look at verse 23. It says, being let go now, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So after going through a very difficult experience, which you could say tested their faith, what put them through something that was very hard, a difficult circumstance, notice that they don't isolate. Instead, what do they do? They go and seek out the fellowship of other like-minded servants of the Lord. You could say they don't isolate in their time of hardship. Instead, they go seek out Christian fellowship. Do you see what it says there in verse 23? It says being let go from prison and the threatening interrogation. It says they went to their own companions. Other translations render that they went to their own people. Other translations say they found other believers. The point there is they purposely sought out camaraderie. They purposely sought out companionship. They purposely sought out spiritual comfort and and, and the strength of being with like-minded servants of the Lord. And let me say that was very wise and helpful at a time like this. They just went through something very difficult and the road ahead is still going to be hard. And in a time after going through a difficult experience and a hard thing where there's going to be spiritual challenges ahead, this proves to be very beneficial because it strengthened them to be more faithful in their commitment to the things of the Lord. It helped them to be able to process the difficulty. It says that they went to their own companions and they reported everything the chief priests and the elders had just said to them. In other words, they go back and they start kind of debriefing. And they say, look, we need to share with you just what happened to us. And we need to let you know about this very difficult experience we went through. And now the hardship and the the difficult days that are going to be ahead of us, because those difficulties weren't going to go away. And so they come and they kind of just share and confide with other believers what's going on, that it's kind of scary the days ahead. And what we've gone through has been very hard for us. And they're kind of giving report. And I think this helps them to face the difficulty of what's in front of them. And for you and I this morning, I think there's an application there that we need to take notice of. Because when we go through hard experiences, and you're going to go through hard experiences in life, even as a Christian, in some ways, I hate to be brutally honest, in some ways, all the more, because you are a Christian. When you go through hard experiences, whether it's just some life challenge or some tragedy or some personal hardship which is just a part of living on this planet for all of us or whether it's honestly just resistance because of your faith in christ or your desire to stand for what is righteous or what is moral in a culture that wants to lead things in a completely opposite direction when you and i go through hardships and face difficulties and then on top of it we know the road ahead is still going to be hard maybe because of not only what we went through but we realize hey the road ahead because of what i'm going through there's still a lot of hard days in front of me if i'm going to keep journeying down this path when we find those times in our life it is wise and helpful listen not to isolate and that seems to be a very human experience 
that you know that a very common human tendency when we go through a very hard time something within us within our humanity makes us want to go seclude ourselves or we want to go isolate and listen that is the worst thing we could possibly do to isolate does nothing other than make us hyper focus and have way too much time to think way more than we should and give way more attention to our emotions and feelings and what's going on and it lets the devil when you isolate manipulate because that's what the devil does in that time and he he just attacks the mind and he you know causes us to get more worried and paranoid and anxious and depressed and discouraged and on top of that it makes us have more struggle trying to then navigate maybe the challenging road ahead which may be in connection to the hard thing we've just gone through so it is a very wise and helpful thing when you go through a hard experience or you're going to be facing difficult days ahead those are the times when it's the most wise and helpful to seek out companionship to go and to seek out like-minded believers, to go and put yourself with others intentionally and purposely like they did here. It says when they were let go, they went and sought out their companions. They said, we need to go be with God's people. We need to go get together with fellow Christians and tell them what's going on in our life, that we just went through something really hard and there's going to be difficult days again and they go and seek out and share what's going on so they can receive comfort and encouragement and support and that they're able to be strengthened spiritually as we see as the result of this they're strengthened spiritually through the camaraderie of fellow believers and listen i want to encourage you when you go through a hard time where you know you're going to go through something hard again those are not the times to isolate those are the times to be intentional to go seek out believers to be with the lord's people to benefit from comfort and counsel and camaraderie in your life because, hey, I'm going through something hard and what I'm going to go through ahead is still going to be difficult and I can't do it alone. And the devil's going to beat me up and destroy me if I try and isolate myself. So very wisely here, I like this, they go and seek out companionship of fellow Christians. And then on top of that, it goes on to tell us verse 24, look what it says. Here's the benefits start to come. So when they, that is fellow Christians, when they heard that, what had happened, they raised their voice to God, it says, with one accord. Take note, what was the church's first response to this difficult experience, to this opposition to Christianity? Take notice, it was not picketing socially, to force their agenda. That's not what happened. It was not compromising spiritually to pacify those who opposed them for what they believed in. Well, I guess we better just compromise so that we minimize the tension and, and we want to pacify the other crowd so they're not... It wasn't that either. What it is, the text shows us in the word of God, it was resorting to prayer. That was the church's first and foremost response. It says they raised their voice to God. Look, there's a biblical example of how we should respond to hardship. There's a biblical example of how we should respond to anti-Christian opposition when it comes against the Lord's people. We should be raising our voice, not at those who are opposing us. We should be raising our voice to God to the one who can actually help us. And I think in some ways, this is because the early believers are wise enough to understand this actually isn't our problem. This is God's problem because he's the one 
through his son who saved us. And then Jesus, you're the one who told us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. We're just doing what you told us to do. So you got a problem on your hands here because you told us to do this and they're telling us not to do this. You got to fix the problem for us here. What, what do we do in this situation? And so they lift their voice to God, hearing what happened about this spiritual dilemma as Peter and John recount the story to them, knowing it's now dangerous to share the gospel, that it's now going to be difficult to stay faithful, knowing they now have to decide, are they going to honor and please men and have men's approval? Or are they going to honor and please God and have the Lord's approval facing something that would bring natural fears in their humanity and it would require strength beyond their capacity? Their response, they join together and they pray. They collectively come together and say, we need to seek God, talk the matter over with him, ask for his intervention. I love it. It says they raised their voice to God and that is what we must learn to do as the Lord's people. So often it seems that we are so prone when we go through hardships and difficulties or we face opposition to you know, Christianity and to our faith in Christ. It seems so often that we are prone to try so many other avenues first. And if all else fails, okay, then we'll desperately come and fall on our face and cry out to God. And, and, and we, we exercise all these other efforts of the flesh to plot and push and, you know, we're going to huff and puff and we're going to blow the world's opposition down when the reality is what we should be doing is raising our voice to God. We should say, God, we need your help. We need your assistance and be turning the matter over the Lord. And talking to the Lord about things instead of maybe just saying things and raising our voice to people because we're trying to somehow you know tweet our way to argue our point or to you know, whatever you do on I don't know even do social media so let's change the subject you understand the concept perhaps if we talk to God as much as we talk to people on social media and everything else maybe something more powerful would happen. And here they just come back and they say, wow, that's what happened. Now's what's going on. We need to pray. And they come together. And I love the language as well. If you take notice of there in verse 24, just the way the Holy Spirit records it for us, the unity of heart and mind when they prayed, it says they, notice that's plural, they, a group of Christians, raised their voice. That's singular. They, a group of believers, prayed together with one voice. It literally says they raised their voice with one accord. They came together and raised their voice to God with one accord. There's that statement again, one accord. It's a term that speaks of harmony, like we've talked about before. And here it is again in regards to prayer, that they're praying in harmony. Again, what is harmony? Well, if you have multiple singers or multiple instruments, everybody is, in a sense, trying to work together to accomplish the same goal. One person may contribute this sound or that sound, but the ultimate idea is in harmony, you work cooperatively, collectively together to try and reach the same goal. One person doesn't just go off out of tune and do something very unusual. Now you're disrupting the harmony. Now you're disrupting the whole harmony. We're trying to function in harmony here. And I love how the Bible illustrates praying and agreeing together in prayer in this matter. They raise their voice, it says, to God with one accord. There was a harmony to the way they prayed together in agreement. The picture there 
is one person is praying and everyone else is listening and agreeing with what the person is praying, not already thinking about what they're going to pray next. See, that's the idea. When, when, when someone's praying, I should actually be listening to and agreeing with what they're praying and, and actually amening and agreeing and putting my faith together with it because we're praying in one accord. This is a part of something I think that's important that we pray cooperatively and communication. And there's something about praying together in that unity and harmony of one accord that I think really it just moves the heart of our father. Look, I have three daughters. I have a wife. I live with four women. When four women come together and start pleading their case, I admit I get weak once in a while. And there's something very powerful about a kind of a unified front and pleading. And, oh, can we please do this? Would you please do that? And, and there's something about that. And look, I'm a weak, sinful, evil human man. And Jesus said to us regarding our Father in heaven, he says, Matthew 7, 11, he says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Look, if our hearts can be moved as a human father in that way, we have a heavenly father who's so good, so righteous, so perfect, so gracious, so powerful, and cares and is concerned about what we ask. And there's something very wonderful when he sees his children coming together in unity, collectively praying in harmony. And again, I just want to emphasize again, there's something very important, particularly when we pray together collectively to try and be sensitive to really praying in one accord, to learning how to pray in one accord and actually be patient and listen and, and actually just you know, stay engaged with what's going on and even trying to be, hey, it seems like that we're praying about this. So if we're praying about this, then help me not to start praying for my Uncle Bob's cat in Michigan because we're trying to pray in one accord here. We're trying to agree together in faith regarding what we're asking God about. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for your Uncle Bob's cat in Michigan, but maybe just now's not the time to pray for that. Or pray for that in your personal time alone. When you pray collectively, there's something effective and something valuable about really paying attention to praying in one accord, agreeing together in faith in the name of Jesus that has power. And it's something different and unique than when we just pray individually in our personal and private prayer life. And so here, they come together and they, says, raise their voice to God in one accord. Now, let's look at their prayer. That's what's recorded here for us, verse 24. And I'm going to read from 24 down to verse 30 because this was their prayer. Let's just read it in its entirety as it was spoken to God. They raised their voice with one accord, and here's what they prayed. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and who by the mouth of your servant David have said, quoting Psalm 2, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. 
by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, uh, let me make an overall observation, if I could, regarding that prayer that, again, the Holy Spirit of God chose to give us a record of. Lots of prayers were prayed throughout early church history, and, 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 but we have a few occasions, Old and New Testament, where the Spirit of God chooses to record a prayer for us. And I think it's good to pay attention on those occasions because perhaps the Holy Spirit recorded those to give us insight, to help us in our own prayer lives, to help us have an understanding of what God desires prayer to be. And before we kind of look at that to dissect and explain each portion and part of it, let me just make an overall observation of the prayer itself, kind of from a, a, a higher vantage point. And that's this. Take notice, that's a very effective prayer because verse 31 says the place is shaken they're filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, really powerful effects. But how to look at this powerful prayer. It was a matter of what? A few sentences. When I read through that prayer there, in fact, I even purposely timed it before the teaching this morning. It takes about 45 seconds. There's a powerful, effective prayer, and the prayer lasted about 45 seconds. The point being, it was simple, direct communication. It was just clear, simple, direct communication. It was direct speech to God, stating a few things, asking specifically for a few things. There's no rambling spiritual speech going on. But one of the things we really, I think, need to try and be sensitive to as Christians as we pray, and let me say this, I think the older we get in the Lord, the more prone sometimes we become to spiritual rambling in prayer. I'd love to be with somebody who's a brand new Christian or maybe is really nervous about praying because they really pray. You know, they, they just pray real sincere. They just say a few simple things because they're, they're so, you know, kind of nervous. Or, I don't even know how to just talk to. And so they just talk to God and they don't have all the Christian knees and they go on and on. And, you know, I, I, some people even preach in prayer. You've heard that before, you know, where somebody's praying. Like, are you preaching a sermon or are we praying here? Like, what's going on? I mean, you just took us through the whole book of Exodus. I mean, like, uh, this is collective prayer time here. What are you doing? We don't, we, we already, we're getting a lesson in another place, right? And, and it seems like the older we get in the Lord, I'll be the first to, we kind of have a greater tendency to do that, Right? God wants prayer to just be genuine, simple, direct, simple communication. Ask God for something. Be clear. Be to the point. And I want to say this. When you pray together in a group, if many of you have, is it not true there's something really helpful to keep everybody engaged when people pray short, simple prayers? Is that not true? Because when somebody prays and they go on and on and on and on, your mind just goes there and there and there, and it's not even with the prayer anymore. Right? It just, it's just true. There's something very helpful when we you know, ask something and then use restraint. Because the amazing thing is maybe you want to ask 10 more things, but the cool thing is try once in a while, ask one thing and watch how the Holy Spirit puts those other things on other people's hearts. And then you're like, wow, I was just thinking about praying for that. And now she just prayed for that or he just prayed for that because I chose to use restraint and not pray. And then you get stowed because the Holy Spirit's directing our prayer meeting. Amen. This is really the Spirit directing our prayer time. 
And something very wonderful and valuable happens. Jesus, of course, in Matthew 6, even warned us of using vain repetitions and cautioned us against that because we can all kind of be, uh, you know, potentially erroneous in that way at times when we pray. So just I think it's very helpful to take note of that prayer from an overall standpoint. Well, let's consider a few things just in this prayer that we have recorded, as I said, by the Spirit. He gave it to us. So take notice of a few things that I think kind of help us to educate ourselves in regards to what God desires in prayer. Notice, first of all, in verse 24, you take notice that this prayer included sincere worship and focusing on God and his attributes. Do you notice what they said in verse 24? Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. The prayer started out with just worship, you might say. They just began to say, Lord, you're almighty God. And by your great power, you created everything, Lord. And you control everything, the heavens and the earth. Everything is under your power. They're saying, Lord, there is nothing too difficult for you. And what they're doing is acknowledging and just celebrating the greatness of God's power. Reminds me of Jeremiah's prayer. Jeremiah 32, he said, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There's nothing too hard for you. Look, it is good when we enter into the presence of God personally or collectively as a group of believers to start out by focusing on who God is and kind of just recounting perhaps what God can do because praising him for his greatness and his authority, it's not only honorable to him and appropriate, but it's also helpful to me and to you because our focus becomes shifted off of what's going on in the problem. We realize, wow, God, you're powerful. There's nothing too hard for you. So I can ask for great things because you are an all-powerful God and it helps us as well as honors him. It stirs faith even as we pray. Secondly, take notice in verse 25 and 26, we see here that their prayer included the usage of scripture. Notice in verse 25 and 26, they quote from Psalm 2 directly there as they're praying, they quote the word of God, which is something we can be assured of And what they do is they recall to mind, certainly for themselves, but also kind of bringing it before God, Lord, this is what your word said was going to happen. You see what they say there? They say, Lord, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things and the kings of the earth stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against your Christ? What they're saying is, Lord, your word told us this kind of stuff was going to happen the opposition, the resistance, people coming together, even rulers and authorities standing in opposition to you and your plans, working against the work of the Christ. Lord, this is exactly what your words spoke about. God had given this in Psalm 2 to allow his servants and followers to be able to understand and process what would happen and how things would happen. And let me just say, there's something really, really valuable about utilizing Scripture, the Word of God, in our prayer lives. Because it allows us to pray, I think, effectively. Because God's Word is what? God's will. God's Word tells us what God's nature is like, what God's plans are, what God's purposes are. It tells us this is what aligns with God's plans and purposes. This doesn't align. So as we take the Word of God into consideration as we pray and communicate with God, 
we can communicate with God very effectively. Lord, your word says this. So therefore, Lord, we're asking this. Lord, you said this would transpire. So therefore, Lord, how do we handle this? What do we do in this situation? You know, the psalmist says in Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto thy path. I think that's true for praying. God's word becomes a great lamp and a great light so that we can pray wisely and effectively. And they utilize the word of God here to kind of understand what's happening. And they say, God, this is what your word says. Lord, you said these things were going to transpire here. And I think we should take notice of the same. It can really help us as we remind God what he's already stated. Lord, you said this. So, Lord, we're holding, you, we're, we're holding you to account for that. You said you would do this. Or, Lord, you said this is your promise to us. And when you come to God with that kind of faith, it helps you to be able to believe God for what he has stated in his word already. And it causes God, I think, really to probably be pleased and honored because he's like, you know what? You're right. I did say that. And so, therefore, I will honor that. And we can pray very effectively as we use God's word in our lives. Thirdly, notice in verse 27 and 28, their prayer also indicated the awareness of both human responsibility and the reality of God's sovereignty at the same time. Look what they say there as they talk about the awareness of both things. They say, verse 27, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Verse 27 conveys the humble awareness of human responsibility. In verse 27, as they're praying, they bring to God this reality of how they noticed that many different people groups were all involved in gathering together against Jesus as the Christ. They say both Herod and Pontius Pilate, those are the Roman political leaders, they say, as well as the Gentiles, those are any non-Jewish nationalities, and they say, and the people of Israel, that's the Jews. In other words, all these different people groups shared equally in the responsibility of their opposition against Jesus. It wasn't just the Jews, it wasn't just the Gentiles, it wasn't just the Romans, it was the Jews, the Gentiles, the Roman leaders. The idea is it, it was everyone. Everyone collectively was humanly responsible for the shaming and the suffering and the putting to death of Jesus Christ. They all participated in rejecting God's Savior. And this, I think, speaks of the reality of the universal guilt of all of humanity. Because our forefathers, whether they were the Jews, Gentiles, Romans, Greeks, all of our forefathers as representatives, they all participated in the same thing, which is the rejection of Christ. And we would have done the exact same thing. And so here, important to see, we have this indication, this reminder of universal guilt. Romans 3 says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we've previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it's written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands and none who seeks after God. The Bible says we all sin and fall short of God's glory. And look, it's important that we do genuinely come to a place of humble awareness of personal human responsibility. It is an important and a healthy thing for every person 
to develop an understanding of guilt and personal responsibility for our own errors, for our own mistakes, because we have all done things wrong in every one of our lives. And that humble attitude of personal responsibility that, hey, I have my fair share of mistakes in my life. I've done a fair amount of things that I am guilty of. And I am just as guilty as every other person. That's what helps us properly relate to God when we have that kind of humility. And we realize there's something universal among all of humanity in that we all have the same need. We all have guilt. We've all failed. We're all personally responsible for our own decisions and actions in the mistakes that we've made. But notice also like a parallel line there in verse 28. They also make reference to God's sovereignty. Now, again, when I say God's sovereignty, that's talking about God's supreme authority. Sovereignty basically means that God uh, is in control of all things, that all things are under God's control. So notice as they're praying and talking about the guilt of the sinful actions of man, they say, Lord God, these sinful actions of all people were committed against your son, Jesus. But then look at verse 28. He says, And yet they were doing whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. That speaks of sovereignty. In other words, they're saying, Lord, we realize what they were doing to Jesus was actually just exactly what you said would be done to your son. Lord, even though they did what was wrong, even though they're personally responsible, and even though there is guilt It was all still in alignment with your predetermined purpose and plan for your son, Jesus Christ, to be the savior of all mankind. Their actions were sinful, but it was not random mistreatment. Jesus was not just randomly mistreated or randomly put to death. It was all within God's control. And to some degree, God's hand was directing and permitting everything that was happening. God was superintending in his sovereignty over even the evil and sinful and wrong actions of humanity and orchestrating all those things to ultimately accomplish his perfect plan and will. That his son would be the one who would die for the sins of the world. God's hand was fully involved in even the rejection and the sufferings and the death of Jesus. Again, there is no place that's probably more clearly conveyed than in Isaiah 53 where 700 years before Jesus Christ came to this earth, Isaiah prophesies of exactly what was going to happen, that he was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And it says that the Lord, in a sense, was punishing him on our behalf. He was being abused by man, but yet God in his sovereignty was allowing it to happen so that we could be excused for all of our sins and failures. And God was sovereignly in control. Isaiah 53.10 says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him when you make his soul an offering for sin. So God was sovereignly controlling it all. And the same way for our lives personally, whether it's Jesus' experience or our own life experience, we must by faith in equal balance realize that the Lord is sovereign over everything that is happening in our lives, even hardships, even times when we're mistreated like Jesus was mistreated, even at times when difficult things happen and hardships take place to know that nothing can happen outside of God's predetermined purposes because God is always in control. 
And though what may be done may still be sinful, wicked, evil, and wrong, and there is human guilt and responsibility for sinful, wicked, evil, and wrong things done, that God never is aloof or disconnected or saying, somehow I just overlooked all of that and I don't know how. I, God's, ne- God's in complete control. God's hand is still involved and God will somehow, even the Bible says, he'll use the wrath of man to praise him. I don't know how he does that, but he's God. He does it. God can turn a curse into a blessing. God can turn the most horrible things. Look what happened to Joseph. He said, what you intended for evil in my life, God turned it around and meant it and brought something good for me. What you did was horrible to me, but God used the horrible thing you did and he turned it around and he made something good come out of my life in the end result. And what a wonderful thing that God is so sovereign to be able to control those things. And I'll tell you, when we pray, it's really helpful to pray remembering God's sovereignty because it helps you relate to God as you're going through things and praying through things. When you remember God's sovereignty, it helps you say, Lord, I don't understand and this is hard, but I know you're in control. And somehow, Lord, you're going to work all this for your good purposes. So their prayer included both an understanding of those two things. Notice also in verse 29 and 30, they also didn't ask God to remove them from the struggle, but to do what? Give them the power to overcome it. You see how they pray? Verse 29, now, Lord, look on their threats. Grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They say, Lord, we're your servants. We want to do your will. You know, they're threatening us. They're trying to stop us from doing what we know is the will of the Lord in our lives. And Lord, we're not asking that you take away the problem. We're asking that you give us the power to overcome and to do the will of God anyway. Lord, we're not asking that you change the circumstances. We're asking that you would give us power from your spirit to not be overcome by the circumstance, but to overcome it in the power and the authority of Jesus' name. Lord, that you'd give us boldness to speak, that we wouldn't be intimidated, that we would keep walking forward, that we would do what is right regardless of what others may be doing that is wrong. And they're asking the Lord for supernatural courage and confidence to remain faithful. Lord, help us overcome. The forces of evil are resisting us. Help us to follow through. And sometimes, look, God doesn't change the circumstances when we go through hard things. He may. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray and ask him to change the circumstance. But sometimes he says the circumstance isn't going to change, but I want to give you power to overcome in the circumstance. I want to give you power to do what's right and honor God and do the will of the Lord, even though you're facing the hardship that you are in that circumstance. I love the way that they pray the statement there, stretch out your hands so signs and wonders are done. It's almost as if Peter says, Lord, just do more miracles. I mean, well, I know a miracle got us in trouble, but just do a few more, would you? Just, Lord, would you flex your bicep? Just stretch out your hand. And, And I love the language, stretch out your hand. What a great way to pray. Lord, would you get your hand involved in this? Lord, I need your hand to get involved. Lord, everyone else's hand has been involved, but Lord, I'm asking, would you get your hand involved in this situation? Show your power. Give us boldness and courage to keep speaking. And look at the answer God brings. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. So there's a visible manifestation God did something circumstantial to show his power. 
So again, that's almost like God gave a divine high five. He just high fived the building they were in. The whole thing started shaking. But what in answer to their prayer, what happens? God gives a visible demonstration circumstantially of his power. He literally shakes the place where they're meeting. And sometimes when we pray and it's effective prayer and God wants to answer powerfully, sometimes he will literally shake a situation and he'll bring a circumstantial indication. God just changed something. God just did something. That was God there. There's no way that that happened other than God. It also says, notice what they asked for. What did they pray for? God graced them with it. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So again, we see these repeated references, another fresh experience with the Spirit of God. These were believers already indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And again, we see these repeated references where it speaks of them being filled with with the Holy Spirit. Again, there was a renewal of the Spirit's power in their life. Here it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Earlier it said Peter was filled. Now here we read everyone in the prayer meeting that day. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They all had a fresh encounter with the Spirit of the Lord in their life being overflowed with the power of God's Spirit. And the result, it says, they were went out and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Take notice, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, what was the end result? It wasn't them acting obnoxious or weird or doing strange things. What was it? They were renewed with a confidence and a courage to talk about Jesus, to tell a needy world The way to be right with God is through Jesus Christ and God loves you even if you hate him. And Jesus wants to save you. And Jesus is true and he is what you need. And they became bold and unashamed. They didn't muster up human courage and go back out and face the civil authorities. They were empowered supernaturally to do something they could not do on their own. Zechariah 4.7 says, Not by might, that is human power, or by effort, human strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. How do you overcome obstacles, difficulties, struggles in your life? By the power of the spirit of the Lord. By calling upon the Lord to give us supernatural power to do what is right, even when there's opposition and challenges we're facing in our lives. Let's stand together.